Well, good morning. You already know by now, it's clear as we've been worshiping together and the things that we've talked about, that we're not going to continue on with the book of Daniel this morning. And uh, sometimes there are moments in uh, time when it's important to adjust things and adjust plans, and we really believe that that's the case this morning for us as uh, uh, God's people. I was almost ready to um, go to bed on Thursday night when I uh, started picking up news of what had happened in Dallas. And uh, some of us stayed up way too late just trying to find out answers to what was going on there. And it just seemed like the news only got worse. And it's just continued to get worse during the course of these last couple of days. Uh, But it's been a story that's been uh, in front of us in some way for quite some time. It's just escalated to a point uh, that's devastating in so many ways, and as God's people, I think it's important for us to talk about it. I uh, am personally embedded in, in it. I have a, uh, a sheriff's uh, star. This is my brother's, actually. Uh, this um, uh, was what he wore the day he was shot. And uh, his name, as long, along with Alan Albee's name, his partner, uh, their names are on the wall at Judiciary Square in Washington, D.C., Uh, And so to see again in the police community uh, this devastation and just the sorrow and all of that just hits very close to home because there's a part of me that's a part of that community and a part of our family that's a part of that community. And so it just just leaves one um, with, with all sorts of questions and all sorts of emotions. And I've got a really, really wonderful friend who pastors a church downtown Kansas City, Macedonia. And uh, Pastor Brooks and I have talked about what's going on, what's going on in our world, what's going on in the country, and issues around uh, racism, and what John is sensing that is just happening, and the injustice that that he and so many of his Christian brothers and sisters are feeling. There's just this uh, swirl of grief and anger and disbelief and suspicion and lawlessness, and we ask the question, God, what does God have to say about this? Because as those who are Christians, followers of Jesus and transformed by Jesus, what does it mean for us to enter into a world and actually live out the character of Jesus in the environment we're in, particularly in a time that is just so fraught with difficulty as this? I think what is particularly hard with this is that it just gets to the core of who we are as a nation, and really even parts of our nation that are consistent with the character of God. You go to Psalm 119, and you see this beautiful anthem on the value of the law. Now, it's God's law, but it's also what um, we have tried to put into governments and institutions all over the world, a system of justice and protection and what's right. And so you go to Psalm 119, and you see eight verses, and, and actually the psalmist Um, constructed it in such a way that every one of those first eight verses began with the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet, A or Aleph. And uh, then B, eight verses. And they all are about the law and and God's sense of order and calling for us, for what it means for us to, um, to follow Him, but to work together and to represent what it means for us to live in the image of God. And so it's just this beautiful anthem about the preciousness of law and of justice. 
And uh, regardless of the community you're in, there's a sense of lawlessness and, and chaos and, and injustice um, that seems to pervade. And so what do we do about that? Well, there's another book in the Bible. It's a whole book, actually, that's constructed the, very similar to what uh, Psalm 119 is, and it's the book of Lamentations. Now, I have to confess to you that I have only one commentary on all of my bookshelves on the book of Lamentations, and it's about 100 pages long. Uh, that's really, really thin. In fact, I'm not sure how oftentimes we even preach on the book of Lamentations, right? We're, I did a ser series around here from here to happy, right? And, and we like that. We like that God wants us to be filled with gladness and joy, and he does. And he speaks about that in his word. But there are also times that God wants us to enter into something else that is equally consistent with the character of God, and it is lament for the people, um, uh, for God's people that... Um, uh, heard Jeremiah pen these words from Lamentations. It was during a time, it was actually about 586 B.C., devastation, the Babylonians came in and destroyed Jerusalem. Jerusalem fell in 586 B.C. Before that, horrific things happened. I mean, y you read about some of them in Lamentations. You read what moms did with their babies. I mean, just absolutely horror stories in regards to what had happened among those people. And just the stunning shock of it for God's people. You even see it in the book of Lamentations where there are these statements, who would have believed that such evil would ever enter into Jerusalem, that we would endure such utter devastation? Who would actually believe it? Yet God had said to his people, if you forget, forget my word, and if you forget my ways, destruction will come to you. And destruction did come to Jerusalem. And we read five chapters of lament over what led up to it, what they're enduring, and their sense of hope and hopelessness as they follow on. In fact, if you look in Lamentations, particularly in Lamentations chapter um, chapter 3, we read these words. Just, just listen to this. You have covered yourself with anger and pursued us. You have slain without pity. You have covered yourself with a cloud so that no prayer will get through. You have made us scum and refuse among the nations. All our enemies have opened their mouths wide against us. We have suffered terror and pitfalls, ruin and destruction. Streams of tears flow from my eyes because my people are destroyed. My eyes will flow unceasingly without relief until the Lord looks down from heaven and sees. What I see brings grief to my soul. Jeremiah was looking around at the nation around him, the world around him, and he saw absolute devastation, destruction, uh, and heartache. Jeremiah wrote Lamentations and God inserted Lamentations in this book because there are times when it's appropriate for God's people to be found in the very same place dealing with the very same lament. There is something sacred about sorrow. 
There is something sacred about sorrow. Lament is a radical countercultural perspective in a society where we try to be happy even at funerals. We just construct our life around that and miss this ingredient of what it means to be human. There is something sacred about sorrow. In fact, one of our colleagues in ministry, covenant pastor and professor now, Sun Chara, wrote a commentary on the book of Lamentations, and it's more lament and conversation about what is going on in our world uh, than anything else. And it was constructed when Sun Chara and a group of people decided to get together and plant a church in the Chicago area. And you know what their first sermon series was? Lamentations. I mean, can you imagine that? If we announce that the sermon series starting next week isn't from here to happy, but it's lamentations, what that would do? And yet God calls us into lament at different moments of our life. In fact, this book is constructed in a remarkable way. You can actually see it. If you look at Lamentations chapter 1, does anybody have it in front of them? How many verses is it? Pardon? 22. Lamentations chapter 2, how many verses is it? 22. Lamentations chapter 4, how many verses is it? 22. Lamentations chapter 5, how many verses in it? Lamentations chapter 3, how many verses in it? 66. Isn't that interesting? 22, 22, 66, 22, 22. You wonder, what's that all about, right? There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So what we have here is something similar to what we have in Psalm 119. With the Hebrew alphabet, every verse beginning with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 3, first three verses begin with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Next three verses begin with the next three. Do you get it? God is taking time to patiently craft a lament because it matters. And chapter 3 is right at the center of it where it reaches its crescendo in regards to lament. I just encourage you to pick up the book and read it and ask God to speak to you. And that's what we want to do this morning. We want to talk about what lament is about, that God calls his people to lead actually with lament. There are so many responses to what's happening in the world right now, in the United States right now. And God calls us to lead with lament in the context of a nation filled with chaos and strife. We will not scream. We will not chant. We will not yell. We will not point fingers. We will not marginalize. We will not ignore. We will weep. Some of you might say, well, men don't weep. Tell that to Jeremiah. It's not that men don't weep. It's all about what men weep about that distinguishes them. 
we weep. Men, women, children, grown-ups. That's how God calls us to lead. That's how God calls us to begin to walk into questions like this. This is what we see happening in our world right now. This is us doing it to ourselves. Opinion media often directs us to blame others, and there's plenty of blame to go around. There's plenty of blame to go around. But we're drawn to those selective voices that we easily resonate with because our life experiences find us confirming the words that we hear. And so my opinions, my, my frustration, my anger, my, my deep-seated convictions come from what I grew up with and those that are confirming those voices. Should, it surprises us, actually, that we come to a place of strong opinions. Our own life experiences have guided us towards those opinions, and there are voices that we can find that will confirm those opinions for us. Someone says, black lives matter, and others say, that offends me when you say that. Others say, blue lives matter, and some say, that diminishes me when you say that. There are things that we say, and people object and say, that disrespects me, or that ignores me. Do you hear the theme in that? It's all about what happens to me. The power of lament is that it dissolves me. The power of lament is that it dissolves me. There is no me in lament. Now, some of you are going to say, no, just just to be technical on that. (laughs) And I would say to you, stop spelling and start listening. There is no me in lament. Let's stop spelling and quibbling and pointing out and start to listen. There are two pieces of lament that I want us to understand this morning. And the first is this, that lament is about listening. Lament brings us to the place where we listen. God calls us to be a community of lament. Lament is something we must value, something we must learn, and not just simply to know it, but to live it. And the first step we take is we enter into a posture of listening, not prescribing, not reasoning, not debating, not pulling statistics out, not appealing to my logic and saying about the people with whom I disagree, they should understand this. Why don't they get it? Before we actually spend the time to figure out the reason why that they got there. You know, when we first moved to Kansas City, we moved into a house out south and I mean, really safe neighborhood. And uh, and, um, Audrey, our second daughter, had a bedroom in the corner and there was this tiny window. It was the second floor. It It was the highest up window in the whole house, probably 25 feet off the ground. And uh, I went into Audrey's room one night, and she was absolutely terrified, absolutely terrified. She said, there are going to be some bad people that are going to come through that window. 
And um, I could pull out all of the reasonable explanations that I had at hand. You know, no, they won't come through your window. Kate's is a lot easier to get into. <laughs> you know. And I tried, actually, all the rational explanations with Audrey. And you know what? It did nothing to assuage her fear. And you know what I discovered? What changed Audrey's perspective was that I decided to stay with her and to listen to her. It works, doesn't it? It works with our kids. You can't reason. You just, you just sit there and you be with them and you listen to them. When did that change? Why is it that when we get older, we forget the power of listening? Rather than arguing, rather than debating, just being with them and asking why and trying to understand the fear. Lament is listening. God never speaks in this book. You notice that? He, he never speaks. He, he just encourages us to speak from our pain and our grief, and, and he listens to that. I mean, it, listen to some of the things. In chapter 4, verse 18, it says, People stalked us at every step, so we could not walk on our streets. And, and God could say, no, 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 wait a minute, that's not exactly correct. People didn't stalk you at every step. That's nonsense. Why do you think that? No, God just invited us into the midst of our grief and our fear to express it and to describe it. We too soon object. Somebody says black lives matter. Is it reasonable to listen before we debate? Tell me about that. Why do you feel that so strongly? On Friday morning, I asked Pastor Brooks if it would be possible for a couple of people from his congregation to just come in and speak to us this morning. And it didn't work out because he had been on vacation and there are a couple really, really articulate leaders down at Macedonia and I just was hoping that they could come in. And you know what Pastor Brooks said to me? He asked me, he said, Mark, would your church actually be willing to listen to what they have to say? Not in a sarcastic way at all. He just wasn't sure. He just wasn't sure. The people that are angry with law enforcement and those who want to say blue lives matter. And it's true, I know, I know something about the law enforcement community and I know that there are some in it that are jaded and bitter, but most of them are not. And for those that are, the question is, how did that happen? It's not, can you believe it? You are just so jaded and bitter. The question is, tell me about what happened in your life and your circumstances that got you from where you were to where you are now. People of lament, they weep and they listen. How, how did this happen is the question. 
and look at it. Even in the midst of this, you see in chapter 3, verse 59 and 60, Lord, you've seen the wrong done to me. Uphold my cause. You've seen the depth of their vengeance, all their plots against me. There are plenty of reasons to point the finger at the people that are hurting me. But look at just a couple of verses over in verse 40 and 41 and 42. Let us examine our ways and test them and let us return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven and say, we have sinned and rebelled and you have not forgiven. Why is it, Lord? Do you see, even in the midst of harm done to us and reasons why we can point to that, there's also this call that God has on us to ask the question, and so what have I done to contribute to it? What role am I playing in what is going on in the world around me? And that is the other element of lament. Lament is not only just slowing down and grieving and listening, but it is also asking these personal questions. What, what is true in me that God wants to purify and transform and redeem so that I don't continue to be a contributing member of this in a destructive way, but rather a, a, a redemptive way? Opinion media survives by noting what the other side is doing wrong. I need to turn off the radio. I have turned off the radio to ask this question, what about me? You know, we go to the book of Nehemiah and we see chapter one, Nehemiah comes back to Jerusalem. He's been gone. And he comes back and he, and he has this incredible prayer and he prays for forgiveness for the leaders. He hasn't even been there. You know, I read Nehemiah chapter one and my assessment was this. That's a good leader to take responsibility for, even though it's not yours to take responsibility for. This is a great place to start. What if it's not that? What if Nehemiah has understood how the dots were connected? And when he said he was filled with sorrow for what he had done, he actually recognized the ways he had been a part of it, even from a remote distance away. Do you see... These things, they're connected with us. It's, it's, a, it's a crass joke that I decide to laugh at that goads somebody on to tell another one. You see, there are all of these pieces of it, and, and God calls us to ask, God, what is it? What has my family, what has my community, what have my friends, what are my political favorites, what even are my investments doing that connect to things that maybe I didn't understood or I just didn't take the time to humbly say, Lord, what is it? Pastor Brooks talks about what happens oftentimes with kids in the hood. And he says, you know, it's just, it's just heartbreaking. You stand at a street corner and these little kids, six, seven, eight years old, see a squad car go by and they just curse and scream and call out names. And you know what the grown-ups do? They just laugh and goad them on. You see, you see these things are connected. Uh, the things we encourage or allow or don't step in on, they're connected to things that happen. My question is this, is what are we encouraging our kids? 
What are the things that we're just saying, ah, it doesn't matter? It's no big deal? Laugh at that joke? Let it go? Boys will be boys? Whatever it might be. Hillary Clinton just this last week apparently said something about white people needing to reconsider their actions. And I read a blog post and it was, can you believe that Hillary Clinton is now pointing at the white people when it's the white cops that are getting killed? And I would say this, although she was ridiculed, you know what, she was right. I'm not being partisan here. She was right. Every single person that lives on earth needs to think about their actions and their thoughts. She was right about that. It goes beyond that to every single one of us. I'm having conversations with Pastor Brooks and I am learning time after time the ignorance in me in regards to the challenges for him and his community. It's appropriate for us to get together with people whose lives are on the margins or beat up or ridiculed and realize that the image of God resides in every single one of them. And if there's brokenness and hurt, my first task is to find out why and to lament the realities of a society that somehow allows it to fester and happen and the dimensions of that that are actually found in me in mine. What have we done? How have we pulled back? What have we said? Scott McKnight writes a great um, book called The Fellowship of Differences, Difference. And he said in it, he talks about a woman, Christina Cleveland, who wrote a book called Disunity in Christ. And she describes her journey to faith and she says this, when I first began walking with Christ, I felt an immediate and authentic connection with any other Christian who crossed my path, Orthodox, Catholic, Charismatic, Lutheran, Evangelical, Black, White, Asian, Ben. She tells more about Ben later on. Didn't matter, we were family. But then something sinister and divisive arose. But as I walked with Jesus, somehow my growth had been coupled with increasingly stronger opinions about the right way to be a follower. I started keeping people I didn't enjoy or agree with at arm's length. I managed to avoid most of the bends described later in my life by locating them, categorizing them, and gracefully shunning them, all while appearing to be both spiritual and community-oriented. Then the stinger. I chose to build community with people with whom I could pretty much agree on everything. God calls us to be a community of difference so we can practice and then we can go out into the world and we can be a part of it there. But those actions, those actions can be destructive and counterproductive if they're not preceded by this beautiful gift God gives us of lament. And so that's what we're going to do. Robert Frost in one of his often quoted poems called Come In describes a man going to the edge of a wood, says this, as I came to the edge of the woods, thrush music, hark. Now if it was dark outside, now if it was dusk outside, inside it was dark. 
And there was a sense of just being on the edge of darkness and the music that called out in it. And he concludes his poem by saying this, Far in the pillared dark, thrush music went, almost like a call to come in to the dark and lament. But no, I was out for stars. I would not come in. I meant not even if asked. And I hadn't been. Today, God is asking us to walk into the darkness and to lament. Would you pray with me? So Lord, help us to hear from you, push away all of the messages that are rushing around our head right now that justify before we listen and help us now to hear you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.